Fred Johnson, a businessman from Portage, Wisconsin, went on a business trip down south to Louisiana. Upon arriving in Louisiana, he plugged his laptop computer into the hotel room port, and he decided to send an email back to his wife, Jennifer Johnson. Her email address is jenjohn at aol.com. Unfortunately, Fred, in his haste, uh, mistyped a letter in his wife's email address, and the email, instead of going to jenjohn at aol.com, was sent to jeanjohn at aol.com. To a Mrs. Jean Johnson of Somerville, New Jersey, she was the wife of a pastor who had just recently passed away. The preacher's wife took one look at the email and she fainted. When she was finally revived by her daughter, she nervously pointed to the message in the email which read simply, Arrived safely, but it is sure hot down here. If there's one lesson we can learn from Fred Johnson's mistake is that clarity in communication is absolutely vital. If you want to achieve the right results, you have to be clear in your message. Knowing what to say and how to say it is the secret to being heard and understood. This morning, I want us to look at an ancient communication, an ancient letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul, which was written to the believers in Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago. And this letter, unlike the mistaken email received by Gene Johnson, was not a piece of casual correspondence of travel and sightseeing, nor was it the sad news of an unfortunate destination. But instead, this letter of Paul to the Philippians is indeed a letter of great joy. Joy that is expressed in the midst of terrible circumstances. You need to understand a little bit of history. That when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he is writing from prison most likely under house arrest by Caesar. But as we'll see this morning, his imprisonment and his restriction of freedom does not cause him to feel sorry for himself. But instead, what we're going to see this morning is a man of God who has learned to be thankful and joyful and full of purpose in the midst of his difficult circumstances. Paul shows here in this communication, I think, a vibrant faith and a contagious spirit of joy. And I think there's a whole lot that you and I can learn from what he writes to the Philippians and that it will be good for us today. In fact, if you look at Paul's letter more than 20 times in about two and a half pages of this letter, Paul uses the words, or uses words that express joy 
and, and peace to the Philippians. And so today I want us to look at, at just a few points in the early verses of this letter, in verses 3 to 5, and we're going to concentrate on three things this morning. We're going to look at, first of all, in verse 3, we're going to look at Paul's thankful heart, and then we're going to look in verse 4 at his joyful prayer, and then in verse 5 we're going to look at his gospel focus. His thankful heart, his joyful prayer, and his gospel focus. Here is God's Word to us this morning. Hear the Word of the living God. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul gives us insight into what he's feeling here in the midst of difficult circumstances and how overjoyed he is at what God is doing in the midst of this congregation of the Lord's people that he has learned to love so much. In verse 3, we see his thankful heart. And he says to the Philippians, Every time I remember you, I thank my God for you. In other words, Paul is saying that when he recalls the love of the Philippians, when he recalls the support of this dear congregation, when he remembers the individuals in that church body, it causes him to praise God and to give thanksgiving to God. Every time he thinks of them, he's prompted to thank God for all of them. And it appears to us as the reader on this end of the line in the 21st century, it appears to us that Paul had some kind of a special relationship with this body of believers. He seems to be on the same wavelength with these people. And so his fellowship with this particular congregation is especially sweet and precious. So, so much so that when he thinks about those Philippians, a smile comes to his face, and he immediately gives thanks to God. Since I have only four Sundays remaining to declare God's Word from this pulpit before I move into a new field of ministry and work, I want to take this opportunity this morning, like Paul, to say to all of you that you bring me great joy. And when I think of you, not only now, but on some of those dreary days when I'm sitting in my office at 11th and French and maybe wondering to myself, did I make a mistake? Should I have moved from First Alliance? I want you to know that when I think of you, it will bring a smile to my face. I want to tell you, like Paul expressed to the Philippians, that I am so, so very thankful that God in His divine purposes allowed me to spend two decades in this place. As I have watched 
the grace of God at work in your lives, in the life of your families, in the life of this church body, my heart floods with thanksgiving to God. Clearly, we've seen and experienced so much goodness from the hand of the Lord over the last 20 years. When I first came to First Alliance 20 years ago, on average, there were only about 275 meeting in what is currently now the youth center. But even in those early days, we sensed that God had a purpose and a vision for this church body. And what a delight it has been for me to stand at the helm as one of the under-shepherds in this congregation to watch as lives have been changed by the transforming power and grace of God, as people have found Christ as their Savior and Lord, as others have discovered the joy of living out the abundant life that Christ has come to provide us, and still others have found healing in their life, healing for their physical infirmities, healing for their broken relationships, healing for their wounded spirits. Truly, 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 we can all acknowledge together that FAC has been, for many, many people over these last 20 years, a place to begin and a place to become and a place to belong. Just last Sunday, a young woman came up to me, 21 years old, after the service. There was joy written all over her face. She came with her grandmother. She'd been coming for a little while here to First Alliance Church. And she caught me between services and she said, Rick, I wanted you to know that I have decided to follow Jesus Christ and I've accepted Him into my heart and life. As we stood over there by the organ last Sunday morning, and I told her how glad I was that she had made what I consider to be the most important decision in all of her life. The joy streamed down her cheeks and down her grandmother's cheeks. And she told me how good it was to be able to experience the grace of God in Jesus Christ and that she knew that God in Christ had given her a brand new start. This past week, I met with a young mother that I had not met, but who, along with her husband and children, have been coming here to First Alliance for several months now. She plans to be baptized, Lord willing, two weeks from today. She shared with me as we sat in my study about the healing work of God in her own life. And she told me about the fact that her marriage several months ago was headed for disaster. But she told me the end of the story. And as she did, tears coursed down her cheeks. They were not tears of sadness, though. They were tears of great joy. She told me how she had recounted, as she talked to me, the goodness of God's grace. How the Lord had led her to one of our church counselors, Stacy Walbridge, and how through Stacy's ministry to her and her husband, that their marriage had been healed and that they're on a new path 
and that they are living out the grace and forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. In recent weeks, Kathy and I have received so many cards and notes and letters of encouragement from so many of you saying how much we and our ministry have meant to us as a way to say goodbye to us. And this last week I received another one of those letters. And as I read the letter, tears of joy filled my eyes. And I called this individual to ask permission to read just a few lines from her letter. She writes, When I came to First Alliance, I was at the lowest point in my life. I was on my fourth marriage. I was estranged from my family. I was drained emotionally, financially, relationally, and spiritually. I had just tried to commit suicide. I really felt like I could not go on. I called my aunt, who has always been an inspiration to me, and she persuaded me to come to church with her. The first time I came to First Alliance, I heard you talking about the grace of God and about a chance for a new start. And I felt like you were talking to me personally. You talked about a loving God, a loving God that wanted to have a relationship with me. And every time I came, I cried like my heart was breaking. And then the first time I took communion, it was like my soul lit back up. You said to all of us that day that you're all welcome to participate. And I couldn't believe it. It had been over 35 years since I had last taken the Lord's Supper. And when I did that day, my aunt just held my hand and the tears ran. It has now been over three years. And it still takes my breath away when I think about God's grace and His love. It was your message about God's love that brought me back to Him. And so today, I stand here to say to you and to God, thank you. Like Paul, every time God brings you to mind, I will be prompted to give thanks to our Lord. Thank you, God, for all you've done in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace, your sustaining grace, your keeping grace, your good grace that has brought us safe thus far, and your grace, your grace, O Christ that will lead us home. But not only do we see Paul's thankful heart, why am I so emotional? 
see Paul's joyful prayer. See, Paul is overcome with joy. It was easy for Paul to give thanks for the Philippians because he saw the work of God's grace in their life. He had a special connection with this congregation. And it was easy for him to think about them and immediately thank God. But his prayers are always filled with joy. Paul says that his prayers for the Philippians were full of joy. That the work of prayer that he engaged in on their behalf was a delight. It was not a burden. It was not hard work. But it was a joy for him to pray for the Philippians. Now, I think that there are a couple of things that we can learn from that. One thing is that you and I ought to be thankful and joyful in our prayers for others. But right on the heels of that, it makes me consider a second thing that I want to speak on for just a moment, and that is this. Do we, you and I, do we make it easy for others to be thankful and joyful in their prayers for us? In the way that it was easy for Paul to pray for the Philippians with joy, is it easy? Are you making it easy for someone else to think about you and to thank God and to be joyful when they get down on their knees in prayer, to do business with God in prayer on your behalf? Do you make it easy for them to do so? I'm sure you have friends like I do, that there are some friends in my life that God has so graciously given to me that I have learned so much from them. I've learned so much more from them than I have ever given to them. I'm nourished by spending time with them. They, they don't drain you of energy. They don't drain you of joy. They're not what I call a joy sucker. They are a joy giver. You know people like that, don't you? You know the joy suckers too. Those are the kind of people that you really have to gear yourself up for to spend much time with. But I am so glad that God has sovereignly planted in my life a number of individuals in this congregation that have been joy givers. You have brought a smile to my face. I've learned so much from you. And and I've just been blessed by what God is doing in your life. And it brings me great joy. And so it's fun for me to pray for you. Fun? Yes, it's fun for me to pray for you. It's a delight for me to pray for you. It makes it easy for me to think about you and to pray with joy for you. So let me ask the question, are you that kind of person? Are you a joy giver who makes it easy for others to thank God for you and be joyful in their prayers? For you. Dear friends, I think that that ought to be all of our aims. That ought to be our aspiration individually and collectively as a congregation. That we would be the kind of people that would just trip all over ourselves being encouraging and the kind of people who are grace filled and mutually supportive so that our brothers and our sisters find it joyful and delightful to engage in prayer for us in thanksgiving. Now let me say a personal word to you. And I want to talk to you like a Dutch uncle right now. In a few weeks, you will welcome an individual, one of God's chosen servants, 
to be an interim minister here for a period of time. And when that interim is over, you will welcome a new senior leader. I exhort you in the name of Jesus to give both of those individuals the kind of love, support, encouragement, cooperation, and joyful spirit that you have displayed to me over the last 20 years. If you do not do that, if instead one or both of those individuals become the target of your criticism and your unfair judgments, and you say things like this, dare you not say things like this, but Rick didn't do it that way. Neither of those individuals are Rick. They have been uniquely created by God, and they will be sovereignly appointed for such a time as this. Follow them. Pray for them. And be the kind of people who make it easy for them to pray for you with joy. And finally, I want you to see in Paul's letter a gospel focus. Paul begins in verse 5 to tell you two specific things that cause him to give thanksgiving for the Philippians. He's going to tell you the, the second thing in verse 6, which we're going to look at next week, Lord willing. We'll come back to that in verse 6 next week. But here what he says is, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Some of your translations say, in view of your fellowship in the gospel. And that is a perfectly good translation. In fact, the same word koinonia is used there for fellowship elsewhere in the New Testament and translated fellowship in the English Bible. The Apostle Paul is especially glad for the fellowship of these believers and the participation that they've shared together in uh, mutually cooperating and being involved in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to say to you, I want to say to you that I am indeed thankful for your participation in the gospel work here at First Alliance. You know, if you look around you this morning, there are people who have uh, a lot of similarities to you. You have natural affinities to them you'll discover that most of us are of the same social strata. We're the same cultural group. Most of us are of the same skin color. We share a lot of the same basic experiences as, as middle-class, white, Protestant, Western Pennsylvanians. And believe me, to live in Western Pennsylvania is a unique kind of experience. There are things that we know and share in common because of our shared cultural background. These are called natural affinities. And these things have worked together in this body for the past 20 years at, at creating a, a, a real bond in our fellowship. But what I want you to understand is that God's community, God's fellowship, is a fellowship that is based not on natural affinity, 
but God's community is one that is based on the Lord Himself. You see, in the Lord's body, our kinship and our love and our participation in the gospel work doesn't have to do really with the fact that we're homogenous, that we're all of the same skin color, cultural group, and all the rest. But I believe that while we have a natural affinity, more importantly, I believe that as followers of Jesus Christ and as fellow FACers, that we share the same heart and mission. And our heart and mission is the thing that binds us together. It is our heart for lost people, as we talked about last week. It is our heart for those unbelieving people to see them become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And because we have that in common, because we're concerned about lost people who live in our neighborhoods and with whom we work and go to school and all the rest, that God has created in this place not just a natural fellowship, but indeed what God is creating in this place is a supernatural fellowship. And it is our gospel fellowship. It is the fact that we surround ourselves around the good news of Jesus Christ. And though we may have differences and, 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 and different preferences and all the rest, that it is the Lord who brings us together. It was A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, who, who really, I think, prompted by the Spirit of God, says, Jesus only is our message. That's our message, folks. Our message is not to get lost in all kinds of theological and doctrinal debatable points. Our message is Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord and our Healer and our coming King. I want you to know, friends, that it is our partnership around the Gospel of Christ. It is this focus on the good news of Jesus Christ that allows us to partner with people like Steve and Craig Volstead and Tom and Tina Freilich and Dave and Brenda Adderholt and, and Hearts for the Hungry and Chris Adams and Justin Crocker and, and Meeting God and Missions. And it is our heart around the Gospel that allows us to, to work and give and volunteer and be a part of the Women's Care Center and the Erie City Mission and WCTL and many others in this region. It is our Gospel focus compels us to go out of these doors every Sunday to take the good news of Jesus, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And it is this gospel fellowship, I think, that gives us the sense that you're my brother, you're my sister. Let me take you by the hand. If our fellowship is primarily based on our common natural affinities, where we grew up, grew up in the same state, grew up in the same town, went to the same schools, have a common set of friends, we're in a particular line of work. If those are the fundamental things that bind us together as a church, then what is interesting is that the edges of our congregation will be walls. It will be barriers to lost people. But if our union together in this church, if our communion, our fellowship, our koinonia, is not necessarily related to our natural affinities. If all of a sudden the church becomes more diverse in social strata and cultural groups and skin color and language groups, if we come together around the gospel, not our socioeconomic status, not our, our racial background, not our hometown, not our business colleagues, but if the Lord Jesus Christ 
is the focus of this church, then the wall, the, the extension of this church is not walls, but is a porous barrier through which lost people can find Jesus Christ. And if given the choice, do you want this church to be a fortress? To shut out the world? Or do you want this place to be a place of healing where people can find a place to start, where people can find a place to grow and to become more like the Savior, where people can find a place to belong? I am so delighted that our church today is deliberately focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would urge you, dear friends, that under new leadership, as God leads you and your new leaders into God's preferred future, I would urge you that you never, never, never let go of that gospel focus. Keep that center in your life together. So Paul gives thanks to God for these dear ones that he considers to be family. And I want you to know today that from the first day I arrived on June 7th in 1989 until the day when I turn out the light in my study and move on to a new field of work, that I thank my God in all my prayers for you with joy because of your participation in a gospel-focused church from day one to the final day. May the Lord bless this church and may your best days still be ahead. That's my prayer. Let's stand and pray.